Welcome to the Performance for Life podcast. We have a very special guest, uh, Lisa Culpa. Did I say your last name right? Oh, yeah. Just like Copacabana. <laughs> Copacabana. Um, she is a yoga instructor, meditation practitioner. I actually met her through uh, one of my friends. Uh, he sent me a meditation by her, and I instantly was hooked to the meditation. I was hooked to her work. And I said, I need to share this with all my friends. I need to share this with all the listeners. I need to share this with every one that I come in contact with because what she has to offer is uh, is very important. But I will let you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and so on and so forth before we get into the good stuff. Awesome, Chris. Thank you for that beautiful introduction too. I know I've, I've been uh, meditating on the idea of just taking moments to be grateful for how far you've come. And it's those affirmations or that validation you just gave me. I'm like, okay, we're good, Lisa. We're good. We're not sitting in a room trying to record for like my mom and <laughs> my own ego. <laughs> so um, I... I am a, a meditation and yoga teacher, uh, certified, certified 500 ERYT, which means I have more than a thousand hours of teaching under my belt and a certified meditation teacher. Currently, um, getting my training under, uh, two meditation teachers. Um, but one in particular, his name is, uh, Lauren Roche. He's fantastic. He wrote the book, uh, the Radiant Sutras and absolutely fantastic work. And, and they, speak a lot about instinctive meditation, which is bringing meditation into your everyday life and knowing that it has ebbs and flows. And it just works for me because I found meditation through a process of healing. You know, I was, I was a 16 year old kid dealing with a lot of past family trauma narratives that needed to be healed ancestral trauma that would which you know you can ask me more about chris and mm-hmm. and i found i found yoga and it was that that thing that i had been searching for where i thought i would find healing in success right school yeah. success college success and then eventually it would be money and car and i could drive back to my hometown and give everyone i knew the middle finger you know <laughs> and uh no that that was just me holding on believe it or not holding on to a lot of the past narratives and things that I thought I was um walking away from but I was actually running away from and it was just trailing me yoga gave me that that space to just be to just be Mm. me and that was extremely powerful. And I was, I was hooked, you know, mm-hmm. I was hooked from that moment on and, um, yoga helped me find meditation. And then I just have run with both ever since. Nice. Nice. Where did, where did you grow up? Like where, like, yeah, where did you grow up? I grew up on long, ready for this, Chris. It's going to be very interesting. I had a very mixed life. My mom always said I had the best of both worlds. Uh-huh. I grew up in long Island, which is technically one of the most expensive places to live in the world. But I grew up in a place where a lot of the people and kids in my generation used to call uh, Brent Hood or Brentwood, Brentwood, Mm -hmm. Long Island. Mm -hmm. And uh, no one wants to live in Brentwood, you know, and a lot of Hispanic people, a lot of black people, you know, and I am Hispanic. I am black. Mm. So um, I had the best of both worlds because I went to a private school due to my father working extremely extremely hard as a Hispanic, as an Afro-Latino male Mm -hmm. um, to to change his socioeconomic class, to change the money narrative. And so he sent me to a private school and I felt like, you know, it was a prison, but I was also able to interact with a lot of the public school kids and the community in public school. So I always had the best of both worlds where I did have a lot of privilege, but then I was able to also step outside of that privilege to recognize that privilege and then hang with people that looked like me that had similar, that had similar or the same cultures that had similar, the same perspectives that um, were growing up and trying to heal their own narratives. So I was extremely 
extremely privileged and lucky in how I grew up, though it wasn't always easy at all. Oh, you went to private school as in like a Catholic school? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I grew up in I grew up in Queens. I grew up in Jamaica, Queens. Um, So I I I spent actually a year. um, I went to Christ the King um, for a year in uh, Queens Village. And then I ended up going to a a boarding school up in uh, Massachusetts to play football. But um, where did you go? I went to this school called the Academy of St. Joseph. It was an all girls school. Huh. Yeah, it was. I used to call it my prison. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be a boarding school. They had bars on the windows so the girls wouldn't escape. <laughs> That's crazy. Yep. That's, what, what was that experience like? Like, oh, I'm so happy you asked, Chris. <laughs> you know, I'm a I'm a survivor of a long family lineage of, you know, domestic abuse Mm. and forgive me, I forgive my cat. (laughs) So I am a survivor of a long family lineage of domestic abuse. I am also a survivor of uh, sexual abuse. And uh, it's, it's just, I call it ancestral trauma because this is trauma that has happened to my ancestors that has happened to people before me. And when will continue, well, unfortunately, if it doesn't change, it will continue to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to also recognize when that is in our institutions as well, when those narratives feed into our institutions as well. And for whatever reason, when I was placed there, you know, as a little kid in in kindergarten, I saw the bars on the windows and I just felt like it was a different form of the home I was living in. It was, it was a different form of control, a different form of, you know, the nuns weren't exactly always the kindest. There would be, there's one teacher I'm still friends with, kindest soul, kindest human being you'll meet. But, you know, a lot of the others, not so much. So that's, that's how I felt about the institution. That being said, I can't take, you know, the education for granted. I I can't take the privilege for granted, but I also have to be honest and say, I did find it to be quite uh, stifling, confined, uh, confining and Mm -hmm. uh, at times very unhealthy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's, you know, the, um, the whole ancestral trauma and just trauma and, in general, um, it, it's, it's one of those topics that come up a lot for me just because I'm a recovering um, alcoholic. And without addressing going backwards, right, and addressing those, I, want, I don't want to say addressing, but like just meeting them, right? Meeting them and seeing them for what they are allowed me today to be a much present person, right? So for, for the, for the people that's out there, that's listening, right. That, that has experienced trauma, right? Like what steps do they, should they, do they take to, to start to look at these things? Because they can't, they, they cannot be pushed to the side. It's, it's, it's getting, it's getting out of hand. (laughs) It really is like, Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, people are blowing up, and we don't know why they're blowing up. Mm-hmm. It's just like um, I, th- I think I, I think I can I think I can tell you why they're, why they're blown up, <laughs> right? And so, like, you're you're in the meditation uh, realm, right? How do people safely start to walk back home and start cleaning the house? Mm. I love how you said walk back home. You know, uh, because that it's that's what it is there you know when you when you take time to understand yourself you're on the road home and when you take time to look at yourself and look at all these things good and bad that make you who you are that's coming back to yourself because you're starting to first acknowledge First, acknowledge, no longer running away. For me, and I'm just talking from personal experience, I really truly thought by running away, by indulging in overachievement, you know, 
classes and, mm. and, you know, after school activities and being the lead in my school play and being vice president of this and helping my friend run for, you know, school office and all of that. I really thought that was healing because I wasn't acknowledging what was happening. I was going to pave over all that was happening with my success. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe that the first step is acknowledging that all of us hold pain. All of us hold trauma. Mm -hmm. Being born is a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. We are born into, and I know it sounds very dark for some people, but you have to look at the dark in order to start seeing the light, the stars. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a shaman that... um, that my fiance, his uncle is a shaman and, and, you know, shamans speak about that all the time. It's acknowledging the darkness in nature, the chaos in nature without acknowledging the chaos. We cannot acknowledge the light, the streamline, the balance. So I think the first thing is to acknowledge and get angry and, and feel, feel whatever it is you need to feel, go through the grieving process. And that grieving process is choosing your weapon for healing, whether that be meditation, yoga, or, or whatever it is. Yeah, you know, one one thing that that comes up for me when you when you talk about that, and, and I and I talk about coming home, and I've sat in many rooms where people kind of address their trauma and stuff like that. But one one trauma that I just I, I can't wrap my head around because I've never experienced it is is physical trauma. People that can't literally be in their skin, right? I can't even imagine how, how do you come home to that? Right. Like, like that. <laughs> it's, you know, the, and specifically, cause I'm speaking from sexual abuse, you know, sexual abuse, domestic abuse, that's physical things that happen to us. I don't think it's as, um, you know, physical as surviving trauma where you lose a limb or you lose an ability, mm-hmm. whether to speak or walk or see. But I do think when you experience, you know, sexual abuse, physical abuse and the scars heal, you do have to go down a path of reconnecting with your body and, and mm-hmm. finding that your body is safe, that you are safe, that that trauma that happened to you um, wasn't something you did for yourself or something that you deserved. It was something that happened, period. Yeah. That's the hardest thing to accept that it just happened, It just happened. It was completely out of your control. It wasn't justified. It wasn't deserved. It happened, Mm. period. And I think that's incredibly painful to recognize this just happened to me. This just happened. But we need to in order to start saying, yeah, it happened. But body, we're here now. We're here now. We're okay now. Yeah. I'm safe now. I can explore now. I can rise now. Mm. So I think that is a way to start. At least that's how I work with, yeah. you know, or worked with rebuilding the connection to my body. But it, everyone's different. Some people go so deep into their body. They go so deep into their body and they give so much with their body that yeah. that's their way of almost overcompensating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure you've experienced that, Chris, even as an athlete with an injury. It's like they, they try so hard with the injury that they're just making it worse. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or the or the injury like like prevents you from being your best. Mm. A little while ago, it was, it was when I first started powerlifting, I dropped 352 pounds on my chest. Mm. And it hurt, right? You could see the barbell just bounce off my chest like when I was looking at the video. But for a, for a while, I was, I had like, every time I would go to bench, like I would have that, that would like replay in my head over and over and over again. And it wasn't until recently that I could confidently get under the bench. Those thoughts are the thoughts are the thoughts, right? And just do what I do, whatever I needed to do. But the mind just does such a great job at remembering. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's it's like, and I think it's 
being comfortable and uh, acknowledging the thoughts and saying, hey, I remember you. It's cool. We cool. But I'm going to do this right now. Mm. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that, just, that, that, reminded, that reminded me of that when you said that. So what, what about the, uh, the, the, the other side to that, right? So the, the person that experiences the trauma, but what, what happens with the other person, right? Or mm. the group or whatever that inflicted the trauma. I right? love that you bring that up. Not many people want to, I love that you bring that up, Chris. You have no idea. You have no idea how much I love that question because we as a society love to see these things as black and white, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this person inflicted this pain on this other person. So therefore this person is bad and this person is, you know, survivor, the victim of that person's actions and it's black and white. And that's, you know, how it is. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. There are some heinous crimes and people out there where it really is that black and black and white. But when we start to look at the, the deeper and the gray areas of all of these issues, we begin to recognize that there are two paths for those who have inflicted or felt the need to inflict pain in order to feel empowered, in order to feel in control, in order to fill up something that they truly felt was missing within them in order to overcompensate for a mental health issue um, or their own trauma. In Mm. my experience, it was a very gray area. It was, you know, apparent that I I thought I could really trust and was supposed to feel safe. And then it was a, a kid that I had called, you know, my friend And it became very gray because there's parts of you that love these individuals, but they have taken the path of, I'm not going to self-harm. I'm going to harm on the outside in order to feel in control. And there's a path that those individuals can go on. And um, I speak a lot about, or there's this term syzygy in Sanskrit. It's, It's almost this acknowledgement of this dance within the universe, you know, from silence to communication, from death to life. And you can be wounded Mm -hmm. and then you could be the wounded warrior or the wounded healer. But if you stay wounded, that's it. Whether you inflict that pain on others or you inflict it on yourself, you will stay wounded. It is up to you to go on the path of the wounded healer, the wounded warrior, to acknowledge what you did wrong, to acknowledge that we all have done something wrong, that we all have hurt people, Mm. to know that there is no excuse, but understand where that hurt was coming from. Mm. And to- On their side, On their, exactly, on their side, to understand- Why why did I do that? Why did I do that? Why did I feel the need to express my anger in that way? Why did I feel the need to hurt that person in that way? Mm. Why did I do that? And then forgive yourself because in order to move on and to start to heal that karma, Mm. you have to forgive yourself and acknowledge, yeah, that was wrong of me. But I have to heal that in order to do good by others and myself now. But yeah, yes. And they're doing the same thing. They're also coming home. Mm-hmm. They're also coming home. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think about these things, um, especially lately with, you know, what happened in Buffalo and all that. Mm-hmm. It's a. Uh, it's very it's it's very easy for us to um, hate the individual for what he's what he's done, but there is a place of me saying, "Hey, I'm wishing that you can start making your way back home and understanding mm-hmm. who you are and how you were wounded." You know, and it and it, and it like dawned on me yesterday um, during a. recovery meeting i was running the meditation and that's i was doing a loving kindness meditation Mm. and that is the first thing that came to my mind i was like you know wishing the best for all you know for all those that were injured that were killed and stuff like that but also the doer Mm. and sending compassion that way because 
if that person isn't loved, then it's going to keep happening Mm. and happening and happening and happening and happening. Exactly. And thank you for seriously acknowledging that because we can all be judges, right? You know, and we're not judges, like not real judges, but we can all be judgmental. Mm -hmm. But it's way harder to look at everyone and recognize that regardless of, of, you know, how wrong, how sick it is, it's still, it's still trauma repeating itself in all kinds of ways and it still needs to be healed. So thank you also for acknowledging that because I feel the same way. Yeah. It's a, yeah. How did we get here? Um, Thank you, Chris, for doing that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We can keep going. No, we can I think, I think these conversations are important and, you know, and I don't think they're, I don't think they're had enough. Right. Um, because it ends up becoming a political conversation or it becomes racism is this is that. And it's all these labels and labels and labels and labels that that kind of cover up what really needs to go down. I I truly feel. That. Personal can be political, right? Mm-hmm. Personal can definitely be political. And I think when it becomes extremely personal, so personal, and then gets turned political, that's when people get really ticked off because it's like, no, 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 I don't think you understand. This is my story. You're trying to put laws and put names and put elections and money and lobbying and all this stuff on. This is my story that you're trying to twist for your own political gain for the next reelection for whatever it is to incite fear maybe. Yeah. So I understand and I, I commend all the activists out there cause it's draining, right? Cause when it gets personal, you're like, Whoa, 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 this is my story. You're trying to manipulate. But I also still truly believe And unless we remove the political from the personal, unless we start coming together as human beings of this state, country, whatever, we are never going to hold the feet to the fire of those who are in charge. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, yeah. (laughs) I'm just going to switch gears here. Yeah. What made you become a uh, meditation practitioner? What what was it that... It was like, hey, you know, you woke, you woke up one day. I was like, huh, you know what? Maybe I should do this. Walk us through that. What, what, what was it that pushed you in that direction? In order for me to explain this correctly, I have to explain my definition of meditation. You better. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, go ahead. Well, my definition of meditation can be so many different things that bring you joy, but it's not only what brings you joy. It's the intimate dance of inner and outer worlds coming together without you attaching to any of the inner and outer world, simply observing and healing and understanding. So if you are a dancer and you find yourself going into almost this trance where the future, the past doesn't exist, where you're just in the present moment where you're, where things may be coming up as you move and and you start to learn things about yourself. That's a form of meditation, you know, staring into our children's eyes and getting lost Mm -hmm. into, into them. We talked about that, Chris, (laughs) that's, that's a form of meditation. When children play, it's, it's the ultimate, I mean, children are almost always in a state of meditation because they're consistently in the present moment. I love a children can be, a child can be talking a mile a minute. And then next thing you know, you turn around, they're like knocked out fully asleep and you know, they're just so in the moment. That's what we're trying to get back to as adults. Yoga helped me get in my body in the moment and became a meditative experience. That's why I call yoga meditation or manifestation in motion Mm -hmm. um, because we're just physically doing it. And 
when I got into Shavasana, that's or, you know, final resting pose. That's when I completely dropped into what we now, you know, kind of recognize as a more traditional state of meditation or, a, you know, but there's so many forms of yeah. meditation. And I hope the, that anyone who's listening is like, ah, that makes sense. Like if you're an artist, if you're a painter, you know, or if, if you just love being in conversations like this, this too is a form of meditation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what people always ask me, they're like, well, I don't know how to do it. Right. And it's just like, <laughs> there's no, there's no right or wrong way to do it. <laughs> and, and you definitely just, just explain that. Uh, it, it, meditation could literally be anything. So with that beautiful definition, why did you start teaching it? Why did you, why did you, why are you guiding people? Like you have like thousands and thousands of followers, people that listen to you. I listen to you. When you put it when you put it like that, Chris, I think I gotta hang up, you know, pack it in and just you know <laughs> I just realized I have a lot of responsibility on my hands. I better I better double check what I'm putting out there. No, and what you what you're what you're putting out there, um, listen, people, what she's putting out there is is a game changer. It's it's the real it's the real deal. Before we even opened the podcast, I told her about a meditation that I listened to today that I, that I needed. <laughs> I mean, I was, so I started going to a uh, Buddhist temple and the, the, the Dharma teacher, the, the master, he, he started talking, he was talking about the Lotus Sutra and um, there is one section in which the Buddha is like uh, one of his students I might be messing up the story, but one of his students come up, comes up to him. It's like towards the Buddha's death. And he's like, it's like, Hey man, like how, who's going to be the next leader and, and stuff like that. And the Buddha simply says, I don't teach, I don't teach with closed fists. I teach with open hands. So whatever I, I give, I gave you everything. Right. And, and so when I think of when I think of you and what you put out there, right? That's what that's what you've created. So that's why I'm asking. Me emotional. In simple in simple terms, when I began this journey on the road home. I recognize that there are other individuals out there who may feel like there's got to be something more than this. There's got to be something more than this pain, this frustration. There's got to be something more than this. And so I took the, and again, forgive my cat because she has trauma. (laughs) (laughs) she's like why aren't you paying attention to me but I took the calling the opportunity the chance to open myself up and share my journey as a way of hopefully inspiring others to go on theirs Mm. and I love that you said I don't teach with with clenched fists or with fists that's exactly what you have to do as a, as a teacher. It's completely vulnerable because I know deep down, I'll never be the perfect teacher, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. But I know that holding all of this in and not sharing it means I won't reach people like you, Chris. I won't reach people who may be in a moment that I was in years ago thinking to myself, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. Mm-hmm. It, it can't just be this. There's got to be more. So yoga inspired me to go on that journey home. And then I also was inspired by other teachers and other gurus and, and you know, other individuals who didn't even call themselves teachers who were just, you know, wrapping out their truth and oh, yeah. and it just 
that's really what it, what it is. If anything, you know, they call a spiritual path, a calling and it is a calling, but it's definitely a choice knowing. And I, and you know, that's why I joked, you know, Chris, and you're like thousands of followers. It's, it's a lot. Sometimes I have to take a moment to just breathe and take it one step at a time and realize if I can just reach that one person, if I can just change that one person from recognizing there is more than whatever pain or suffering or things they may be going through, there is more, then that's, that's it. That's it. That's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's well said. Um, I, uh, I like to think of myself as um, I'm 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 from I'm from Haiti, hundred percent. My mother's Asian, <laughs> my my dad is Asian, um, so I, I'm, I'm considered like a pure pure breed. Um, I'm not sure what the rest of the line is, but I, th- I think I'm pretty pretty pure as far as Haiti comes. Um, and so I I've uh, followed the the voodoo culture. Because there's something about the spirituality, and I started, I start, I started to think like, why, why did I end up choosing a Buddhist path? Like, why am I reading all these Dharma books and reading the Lotus Sutra? Why am I doing that? And that's something that I'm working on. I'm trying to figure out, figure it out because there's something about it that clicks with me. I was raised Catholic. Catholic religion didn't click with me the way, and I don't even see Buddhism as a religion. That's a whole other subject <laughs> that we could talk about. Um, but whatever, whatever is is being done from a from a from a Buddhism perspective clicks clicks with me, and and takes me on the spiritual journey that I can compare to. That, that is closely related to the, to the voodoo culture because it's, it's very, it's deeply, it's deeply rooted into like, into the ground. It's, it's present minus all of the uh, smoke and mirrors and stuff like that, that the, the media um, society tries to kind of, kind of put on it. And so when I, when I think about me, when I think about my role, I feel like I'm just like, I'm just like the gatekeeper. Mm. <laughs> I, I open up, I open up the gate and, I say, meet this God, meet this goddess, meet this teacher, and this teacher will teach you. And then I and then I kind of just and I kind of just stand there, and and that's what I literally feel like. And when I get a chance to teach, I teach. When I don't, I don't. And and it, and it just me getting to this point, right, was just through a lifetime of stuff. <laughs> literally a life a lifetime of stuff yeah and you know when i hear when i hear you talk about you know your meditation practice and and stuff like that and, and all the stuff that you're teaching and i'm and i'm here as a as a student or a gatekeeper and and trying to bring my friends to your table um so that they can so that they can recognize that there is a way to, uh, as I said in the beginning, is to come back home. Yeah, I know I just rambled just now, but that not that, at all, not at all. It was just on my mind just at the moment, and I feel like I felt like I had to. I'm I'm happy you said it. I'm so happy you said it because again, I'm of Afro. I'm Afro Latina. I'm of Caribbean descent, um, Puerto Rican and Panamanian. And, um, you know, before my dad's side of the family got to Panama, they were from Barbados and, mm-hmm. you know, um, it was very much, a, it's, I have a very strong Caribbean line and very strong and very strong connections to my African roots. When I go to the Caribbean, I just feel like my heart is in the ocean. My heart is mm. in the people. And when it comes to religion, mm. spirituality, that was taken from our ancestors. So 
I am not surprised that my parents have held on to Catholicism. The Spanish Inquisition made people want to hold on to Catholicism. When someone holds a gun to your head and it's like, believe in Catholicism or die, you're like, okay, sure. You know, like praise Jesus. <laughs> but, <laughs> but when, when you really think about it, as we begin to, you know, reach this new century and, and this new era, of mm-hmm. course, we're going to be leaning towards ritual. Of course, we're going to be leaning towards magic, um, towards things that were called pagan. But are they pagan or are they just ancient human rituals, ancient human practices that have been yeah. here pre-religion? So I, I completely 100% agree with you. I have my herbs. I have my spells. I have my meditations. I have like all of that is magic to me, my yoga and Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that is also a part of my spiritual practice. So I'm happy you brought it up. And, and I guess the, now I have a question, right? Like what, so we're, we're, we're from the Caribbean, right? Me and you, like mm-hmm. what, how do we end up pulling from Eastern philosophy like that? Like, is it uh-huh. like, like what, what is it that, drew us towards it i have a couple of theories <laughs> let, let, let's let's hear it because i have a i have a couple of theories <laughs> I, there's, there's probably a few brown folks out there that is that that's interested mm. i see hinduism right hinduism is the belief of many gods and buddhism is also polytheistic mm-hmm. i think our ancestors also were polytheistic. They believed in many gods. They believed in nature. They believed in the power of nature. They believed in mantra. They believed in not, you know, their gods weren't just good or bad. There was this kind of interesting dance in between, like trickster gods. Trickster gods may be considered bad to Western, you know, perspective, but to we, I believe we are of Eastern perspective where we're like, no, trickster gods help you realize what's up. Yeah. You know? Yes. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and one that comes up for me is, uh, is, is Legba. Um, mm. That's, that's, that's Legba. Legba always comes up for me. I um, mean, I, and I connect and I connect to Legba and, and yeah. Yeah. And I, I just, I, it, it, that question just kind of runs through my mind and I'm like, why? Like, how, how am I connected to this? Because I have to be connected to it in some kind of way or else I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be interested. Yeah, of course we're connected. Sorry, I had to take a deep breath before that, Chris, but you know, of course, of course we're connected to it. Of course, why wouldn't we be? I feel that, you know, in terms of Western religion, it, it, it's very Catholic. It's very Christian. I think when we talk about Buddhism and Hinduism and even Judaism, you can argue has more Eastern roots in, mm-hmm. in a way. And I think as African descendants, we have more Eastern, you know, commonalities with mm-hmm. Buddhism and Hinduism because that's, you know, who we are as a people. We're more connected to nature versus Catholicism is, you know, nature controls you, God yeah. controls you. And in these Eastern, you know, more Eastern philosophies, it's like God is also within you and around you. You are God. You are not God. Um, there are many gods and there is one God. And it's very, it's not as black and white. Though I'm gonna, you know, God can be in you in Catholicism and Christianity too, but it's it's just a little bit more monotheistic in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. The whole gray, the whole middle path. Um, it, it absolutely works for me, like big time. Mm-hmm. Yo, this is the first time we've ever gone down this path on the P4L podcast. I, <laughs> I can't, I can't even believe it right now. <laughs> but it's all good. This is, this is, this is really good stuff because I'm, I'm telling you, there, there, there are probably people out there that are wondering why. 
why why it's happening why why am i why am i doing this why do i love yoga so much why do i love meditate meditating so much i think there's a certain human um connection that that is that is built into us that we need and we tend to ignore it because it it's it's unknown to us but when we do end up diving into it it feels familiar Stonehenge temples, you know, ritual circles, uh, holidays, all of that's very human. All of that's extremely human, you know, a name and the nuances can't take that humanness away from your beliefs or your spirituality. I'm happy we went down this path, Chris. (laughs) Did you play any sports when you, uh, back in your day? I swam. You swam. I swam. I was, I was in the swim team. I still am very connected to the ocean as you, you may have heard some of the ocean and in my tracks and meditations, totally connected to the ocean. So I swam and then mostly I, I, you know, cause I was in musical theater and I became a musical theater major in college. It was Mm -hmm. dancing and singing and that, you know, an actor or performance person is an athlete, as you know, Chris. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's all integrated, but I'm going to say, I'm going to stick to the main sport that I did was swimming. I loved, loved swimming. Our swim team sucked, but I loved swimming. (laughs) What, uh, What events, what events did you, uh, did you participate in? It was okay. I always wanted to swim like 100s because 100s were like so, you know, you go down the pool and then you're back. Um, But there's also like 400. Sometimes there are 600 where you, you know, do a couple, a a few, the distance, exactly, a few laps around the pool. Mm -hmm. And those would always challenge me because you want to put your feet down so bad. There comes a point where even the water feels heavy, you know, as odd as that sounds. And you just keep breathing and you keep moving. And maybe that's also the connection with yoga. I'm very into breath and movement. So um, same thing with dance, breath and movement. So I just, I absolutely love swimming. And I, I don't love competing. I used to wear a shirt that said, you know, I may be losing, but at least I'm still cute or something <laughs> like that. Like Because I was like, I am going to get in here and these other Girls are going to like just eat me for breakfast. So I'm just going to already, you know, wave my white flag and just compete against my own time. And, and that's that. But I love swimming and our swim team was just so passionate. (laughs) But, but you know, you bring up, you bring up, you bring up a good point because, you know, not everyone is, is competitive. Like, like not everyone wants to just beat everyone. They just want to do it because they love doing it. Right. Mm. So, you know, it, I think it's important that you said that. Um, I, you, I think you're the first person that's ever said that about a sport that they, that they played that I've that I've ever spoken to. Most people are like, oh, yo, wow. I want to go out there and win. I don't care. You know what I'm saying? You're like, yo, I just I just want to swim and I want to beat my time. I want to be better than I was before, and so on and so on and so forth. And I think. You know, in the athletic space, especially these days, it's so competitive with social media. Everybody sees what you're doing. Um, but I think there is a very important space that you sh- that you should implement within yourself to learn to just do what you do and have fun doing it because you mm-hmm. love it. Not because not because, you know, your dad is like, oh, you got to you got to win or your mom is like, you got to win or your friends. But like do it because you love doing it. And I bet you. Whenever you jumped in that pool, you were you were just doing your thing and you were happy no matter the result. Exactly. I am. My parents learned very quickly. I am not a competitive person and that would frustrate them because, you know, you you are you have a lot, especially if you're uh, first gen. If you're first gen, your parents are like, come home with an A or don't come home at all. Come home with a gold medal or don't come home at all. It really, you know, beats the overachievement narratives into your brain. And at one point I just kind of realized like, I am not competitive. (laughs) Like I am not a competitive person. I hated competing with other um, women. I only love competing with women that see like there's this almost admiration this 
like this healthy rivalry yeah. of like, oh, I'm going to get it. It's like, no, I'm going to get it. And then I would have fun because we're both having fun together. There's no yeah. attachments to I'm better than you or you're worse than me or I'm worse than you when it came to that type of competition. So yeah, yeah. I am not, Chris, I am not a competitive one. I just want to have fun and live my life. Yeah, no, it's, I, I, you know, there's, there's, there's something, there's something to that. And I think there are a lot of people that feel that way. And it's great that you're, that you're saying it so that they can, so that they can hear it and be like, and say, it's okay. And, and the, and the thing, and the thing about it is like, you can, you can do what you do so well that you might end up beating the competition and not even know that you're doing it because you're so, you're so immersed in the, in that present time experience within yourself. Um, which is, uh, which is performance for life material right there. Like that's like, that's like, it's like on point when it comes down to it. And are you beating the competition or are you teaching the competition things that mm. they, they may not even know themselves? Mm, they, gems, <laughs> dropping gems on them. Right? Look at that. Look at that. You, you, you getting some, y'all getting some good stuff right now. Like, like you gotta rewind that, you know, post a soundbite on your page or something, do something with it. <laughs> Now I might I might get the soundbite and post it on my page. Because <laughs> that, that was that was really good. That was pretty. That was pretty good. Did you make that up just now? I mean, yes and no. Like I made it up as an I, I voiced it for the first time, but that's how I feel. That's honestly, Chris. I am this. I am so. I am. If you want to know me, I am the person that does not think things. I was just you know saying the other day to my to my fiance it's like half the time I really don't know what I'm doing I'm just doing it and hoping that it works like and that's usually when I know what I'm doing when I I know I'm on the right path when I'm completely lost it's when everything is so together and I'm manipulating everything and everything is in control that I'm like I am so off I am so off yeah you know (laughs) I congratulations on um, the engagement. Thank you. Thank you. Um, When is the wedding? 2024 in Cabo San Lucas. Where is that? Mexico. Mexico. That's, that's beautiful. Mexico. Yep. That's beautiful. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I'm I'm excited for y'all, but I want to talk about the shaman. (gasps) Is that your fiance's dad? That's my fiance's uncle, actually. What's your fiance's name? I, I want to stop calling him fiance. Yes, Pedro. Pedro, Pedro. and Hi. I'm so happy we're talking about him because he's my video. He's my media person. He's my support person. He's the person oh. that like helps me with emails and answering comments. So thank you for putting a name to the fiance. Pedro. Pedro's the man. He's part of this. He's part of this podcast too. He's just working in the background. Um. So Pedro's uncle. I used to listen to Mike Tyson's uh, hot boxing podcast. I, I haven't been listening. All right. Let me, let me rewind. I, I haven't been listening to podcasts. I have been listening to a lot of, a lot of music. Um, I've, I've really kind of stripped myself from a lot just for this month. Right. Because I, cause I'm, cause I'm working, I'm working on stuff, right. I'm, I'm working on going into the darkness. Like we just said, right. I'm, I'm no longer afraid of the dark. So I, so now I, I just go into it and I, and I, and I set out these nice blocks of time and I, and I, and I work on my stuff. So that's one thing, but I have, so I haven't listened to the hot boxing, uh, Mike Tyson podcast, but he, whenever I did listen, he always used to bring up his shaman or shamans and they would, uh, trip on, uh, some kind of psychedelic. Is that the same type of shaman you're talking about or? Yeah. I mean, it's plant medicine, you know? Yeah. yeah, it's plant medicine. So Pedro's uncle is a doctor, was a doctor, and Pedro's Ecuadorian. And okay. uh, so it's the whole family is Ecuadorian. He went to med school mm-hmm. in Ecuador and he got really ticked off at the medical program he was in because they were completely negating a lot of medicinal truths when it came to psychedelics. We have to recognize that the war on drugs also meant 
the war on medicine or yep. potential medicines that yep. could be really beneficial to a lot of people who have trauma, PTSD, um, things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, psychedelics, he, he not only told us the stories of how he has the circles and the contained space. He told us which ones to avoid. He told us which ones were really, really dangerous. And he told us the stories, what spirit. So, you know, marijuana has its own plant spirit. It will show you things based on the spirit. There is a plant that is a trickster spirit and it's a very, very dangerous You have to really, if you're with a shaman, the shaman really has to know what they're doing to lead you through that journey to come out of it, or else it could actually um, mentally or psychologically damage you. So he was telling us all of these things, and he was also sharing the science behind this plant medicine because he has that doctorate background. So um, it was fascinating talking to him. And, you know, we're going to have a shaman marry us on our wedding day because I'm like, oh, no, that's that's it. I'm not, I'm not going back. Like I'm no, no. going to continue down the, down that path with, uh, with shamans as teachers. Did you, did, did you actually, um, partake in uh, the psychedelic experience? I have part partaken, but, uh, the only thing that I have felt comfortable. And again, it's like a yoga practice. Yeah. You have to really ask yourself where your edge is, is with marijuana but how my body reacts to um ingestible marijuana Mm -hmm. uh, is very different than a lot of other people it hits me very quick very fast and i tend to go on a journey so i marijuana was and still is even though again the experience is not something you can do every week it's something that you do specifically with ritual and you have a guide and by going through that i remembered a huge part of um, a repressed memory for the first time it was incredibly healing incredible painful painful but incredibly healing and i i stand by it if used correctly and with respect, you can heal so many lives with psychedelics. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've only heard, I've only heard great things about it. And what you, what you just said is very important, right? For all of those people that are listening that are like, yeah, I'll try to do it. Um, <laughs> ritual, respect. Mm. Ritual respect we'll use chris for this example anything that's mind altering for me ritual and respect gets thrown out the window which Mm. is why i'm in recovery Mm. maybe one day in this lifetime maybe the next life i don't know but today me i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to respect it the way that it would need to be respected. And I hear people talk about it all the time. Like, yeah, I'll do it. Da, da, da. You can't abuse it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You can't abuse it. Right. And, you know, I, and, and that's one of the reasons why I meditate, right? Because I, I can get myself to those places, but like in little, in little droplets, it's like, <laughs> all right, you're done. I could sit for like an hour and I get a little dip and I'm like, Oh, I got, I got some right. Versus getting the full, get it versus getting the full thing. And I've, and I've come to an understanding with myself, like, yeah, I'll take a little drop every time. Right. And then eventually I can, I can, I can piece things together. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm so glad, I'm so glad you, I'm so glad you uh, said that about psychedelics because I think we, we as a society, we don't understand it the way that it needs to be understood. And it becomes something that's fun, fun where it's, 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 it's a heal. It's a tool to heal versus a tool to just, you know, sit there and, and have fun with and abuse. Correct. Correct. The full, and I love, and you are respecting the plant by knowing your, your edge. I, I don't think I could do ayahuasca. I, I suffer from anxiety and depression. And I think that there are shadows I have to work on in my waking reality before mm. I even think, and possibly I may not ever do ayahuasca. In fact, 
you know, Pedro's uncle suggested I don't ever do ayahuasca because if I can go on a journey with marijuana, just ingesting a little bit of marijuana and go on a full journey, it's like you don't need to go on ayahuasca. If you've Mm -hmm. gone on that journey, you don't need to go, you know, San Pedro is another one, very, very intense. Mm -hmm. And it's the trickster spirit is in San Pedro. It, Mm -hmm. It kind of looks like this cactus. And if you are not fully aware of yourself, if you don't understand your edge, if you're, you know, not acknowledging that there may be um, uh, mental health issues, you know, especially if you're bipolar, you have to be so mindful of psychedelics because the trickster spirit in that plant will be like, oh, you think you have me? (laughs) I'm mother nature. I created you. You can't have me. It it locks all the the doors that you wanted to close that you wanted exactly. that you wanted to be closed and then, um you know they they talk about they talk about death and, and that moment before death when you get that uh that yeah is right and i guess those psychedelics is like that like kind of when i get my little drop in meditation that's like the next thing mm. <laughs> if that makes mm-hmm. sense no, right. makes total sense. Your life literally flashes before your eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I, um, my last uh, bender that I went on, that whole day I wanted to kill myself. And then I tried to kill myself and I ended up passing out because I was so just out of it. And I like, I, rem- I just remember this, this lady that took care of me and when I was in Haiti when I was really young and I remember her saying like no just wake up that's the, that's the closest I can come to that to uh, to, to a psychedelic it was so real it was real yeah. like it, it was real that was your spirit guide and that spirit guide is you your your subconscious, your conscious mind, but it's also your ancestors. It's also your spirit. It's one and the same. Your spirit and also your ancestral line was saying, it's not your time. Yeah. You have so much more to give. Yeah. Yes. So, so beautiful. So beautiful. Um, Thank you for sharing that with me as well. Thank you yeah. for that. Yeah, we, uh, we, we went down a lot of streets today. <laughs> Um, so before we end every podcast, and I'm sorry, my partner couldn't be here. His name is Jake. Um, but hopefully we'll do another one of these. Maybe we can bring Pedro on and his uncle. Uh, his uncle lives somewhere in like in Ecuador, like far in, like uh, far in. Uh-huh. in yeah. <laughs> but my Pedro can definitely be on. I yeah, want to drag we'll, his we'll, butt we'll, on. We'll bring, we'll bring Pedro on. Yep. Um, I, would, I would love to meet, I would love to meet Pedro. Because you, you you always want to understand the other the other half of the of the of the uh, story. Um, I love that you shared that because he is literally my yin. Like if I'm yang, Chris, you see how loud, you see how crazy the editor is probably gonna have to be. Like, I have to lower her voice because she's screaming into her <laughs> microphone. He is very soft spoken. He is very. He thinks. Um, you know, he he analyzes. He's a little bit more grounded and he handles even his trauma completely differently wow. um which is beautiful so please yeah, so, yeah we, we, don't, we don't make we don't make that happen so before we before we wrap up um i just want to ask you one last question um what does performance for life mean to you you talked about a drop that one drop that you get and maybe it's the high of riding a wave or, you know, striking a pose or being with your kid or, you know, taking that step with your partner, your friends, healing, forgiving. Those are those drops, but they're all for life. They're all connected and you live it. You live that intention, whatever that is for you. So that is what it means to me. Awesome. That was well crafted and also please let the audience the fans know where they can find you 
you can find me. I love how I look at my phone. Like, where can they find me? <laughs> you can find me on Insight Timer, Lisa Culpa. My mm-hmm. Instagram name is Lisa Culpa. My YouTube channel, Lisa Culpa, and my website, www.lisaculpa.com. I just took my name and slapped it on everything, so it's easy for it's easy to find me. <laughs> wonderfully, wonderfully said. And we will uh, make sure all of that information is on the post when we do release this episode. Thank you all for listening today. Uh, thank you, Lisa, for making it to this uh, podcast. We are truly grateful for um, your work. So thank you. Your work is beautiful and your work needs to be heard by the world. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me. And thank you so much. And thank you for your work. Thank you for being a gatekeeper and a teacher. Thank you.